for us, it's about like, okay, how do we mash that ambition of young people with the knowledge of others? And I think, Francis, you run, you know, the K Electricity Association, you can say as well as anybody, it's not easy to keep a grid running or to keep it safe mm-hmm. or reliable. And I think, um, you know, young people also need that knowledge. And, and But then at the same time, we potentially need to be more creative about how do we electrify faster. And so there's a big opportunity to bring those two things together. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. This is episode 047, number 47 of the Flux Capacitor. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face but using Zoom. This is the ninth podcast in a series shining a light on climate change, net zero greenhouse gas commitments, and what the implications may be of those net zero commitments. Over this podcast series, I'm trying to unpack these GHG emissions reduction targets and net zero commitments to understand what they mean for the governments that make these commitments, the potential impacts on the companies that produce and deliver electricity, and how it will change energy use and what it may mean for customers. Over the series, the conversation has been evolving and it continues to evolve, particularly with respect to carbon reduction targets. While the overall net 2050 economy-wide target remains, the 2030 target has moved from a 30% reduction to a 36% reduction to a 40-45% to reduction. In the recent Canadian federal election, the re-elected Liberal Party platform included a commitment to a 100% net zero emitting electricity system by 2035. For this ninth podcast in the series, I am joined by Meredith Adler, the executive director of Student Energy. Now, Student Energy is a global youth-led organization empowering young people to accelerate the sustainable energy transition through a variety of initiatives, some of which we talk about on the podcast. In our discussion, we focus on net zero and the next generation of leaders. We also touch on generational differences, some of Student Energy's priorities, the next generation's expectations for GHG reductions and EDI, and what to expect at COP26 in Glasgow. We close the conversation with some book banter and Meredith's recommendation to add to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with Meredith recorded at late October days before the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26. Meredith, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're able to make it. Thank you so much for having me on. I think maybe the, the best place to start, uh, I've been doing a, a series on, on net zero and, and what net zero means, uh, but for the listener, maybe a little bit about student energy and what student energy is all about and where it came from. Yeah, definitely. So um, Student Energy, we're a global organization. We work with 50,000 youth in over 120 different countries on creating the next generation of energy and climate leaders. And so what that means in practice is we have multiple different programs that work on community building, skill building, and project development for young people to accelerate their energy careers and make sure that they have the support networks that they need to, to move forward. And then we also work a lot with governments, companies, and organizations on creating space for you. So on effective youth 
engagement and youth empowerment strategies. Um, so lots of different work there as well. Um, and where we came from is actually a pretty interesting story. Mm -hmm. uh, so Student Energy was founded in Calgary, Alberta, actually back in 2008. Um, and so we we hold the title of being potentially the oldest youth-led energy or climate <laughs> organization. So, um, and, um, and we started back in 2008 because our founders were working actually in the oil and gas industry. They were going to school at the University of Calgary and they were really wanting to talk about climate change and sustainability and really finding that they didn't have any space to do that. You know, they were going to these conferences and they were feeling like either people just didn't want to address the topic or they were really getting a seat at the kids table and nobody was willing to take them seriously about it. And so we've started actually with our first international student energy summit. So the idea was to bring together youth from around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and they did that successfully. They gathered 350 students from 40 different countries. They had a lot of great speakers like the IPCC chair at the time, Ralph Sims and right. Vicente Fox, the former president of Mexico, huh. but it was all youth in the audience driving the questions. And that really produced a large group of young entrepreneurs and innovators who were ready to go into energy. And it was the conference itself actually was supposed to be one off. It wasn't supposed to turn into an organization, uh -huh. but there was so much success coming out of that group. And so much had happened based on people just finally having space to explore these conversations that they decided to try it again in 2011 in Vancouver, BC this time. It was bigger, better, more inspiring than mm -hmm. after that student energy formed as a nonprofit initially to keep the conferences going. Right. But as we went and found out that there were just so many more gaps that needed to be filled in order for young people to really effectively be able to get into energy. And really we felt strongly that we needed to accelerate young people's ability to do that because young people have so much ambition to tackle climate change and we needed to move the sector along faster. Um, and so, so that's where student energy ended up developing all of their other, all of our other suite of programs. And now we kind of have everything from YouTube videos that tell you what a solar panel is all the mm -hmm. way through to launching your first business is, is within our suite of programming. Launching your first business. So you, so that's something that you, you help the youth energy community do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we have a program called Greenpreneurs that works on, on business planning, specifically for young people in the global south. And then next year, we'll be launching Student Energy Ventures, a two-year um, intensive mentorship uh, program all about um, getting young people the funding that they need to launch their first big project and then helping them with everything from regulations to business planning to building their team, all the things that you would need. So a lot of the work that we're doing is actually um, kind of framed as like pre-acceleration. So what do you need to be able to get off the ground? And then we do it with a strong equity lens. We do it with a strong lens towards, um, you know, where people face disproportionate barriers to being able to get into this work in the past and how do we fill those gaps and make sure we're supporting people. And our um, Indigenous Youth Leadership Group, 7Gen, okay. has actually just launched um, yep. Imagination Energy, which is a really similar program specifically for Indigenous youth to launch their first big energy project in community. So, so yeah, it's a it's a really exciting piece of work, and um, and we're kind of covering the whole the whole gamut of what mm. you need to get started. So it started in Calgary, but it's no not just um, Calgary or Canadian based now, right? You're 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 global. Yeah, we're global. We actually have thirty staff, um, ten of whom are outside of Canada, mm. and we um, and we have students. Um, in almost every country around the world. We actually just finished a big research project called the Global Youth Energy Outlook that had representation from every country um, and over 42,000 youth uh, participating. Okay. 
And then, you know, I, we know each other from, from a number of conferences, but also um, in full transparency, you're a member of our, our public advisory panel for sustainable electricity. And you've been there for, I guess, since uh, 2018. Um, what's, what's that experience been like? Because that's not a youth experience. That's, that's uh, you know, it, it, it's exposing you to, to uh, a, a broader community, but uh, in the sustainable electricity space. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great experience. I think getting involved in the electricity space is personally really important to me. And a lot of my work actually um, centers around working with partners like the members of the Canadian Electricity Association mm -hmm. and others around helping people to really understand what youth innovation is and, and how do you leverage it to meet our shared goals on energy and climate. And so um, I really like participating in council. I find the other council members are really smart, um, interesting people who are great to work with. And then I think, you know, there is a lot of work to be done mm -hmm. in the electricity sector to help Canada be a leader on climate. And, and, and a lot of this will hinge on the progress of that sector. And so, um, so I think it's really important work to be doing. Yeah. So what was your, what was your, uh, what was your journey? Uh, that's something I, I always ask folks that come on to the podcast. Uh, I, you know, I always make the joke is when you were, when, when you were a young kid in the playground, is this what you always dreamed that you would do? How did you get from, from there to, to being executive director of student energy and, 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 and having a global footprint? I mean, uh, that's, that's a really good question. <laughs> that I, think about. Um, um, I mean, so, so, I laugh about it now, but I always say that like some some children were inventing apps. I was inventing leadership conferences. I threw my first <laughs> youth empowerment event when I was 16 years old. Wow. Um, and so, um, so I mean, my real root, um, I have parents who work in community development. My um, mother especially is, has a big emphasis on international global engagement. We hosted... Okay seven or eight exchange students when I was a child and I was an exchange student as well. Um, so there's always been a global bend um, to being an Adler, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I, I always, I don't know where this came from, but I always felt like young people weren't being taken seriously and could achieve more if given the right tools. And so, uh -huh. so yeah, my first leadership conference was when I was 16 um, and then went on from there uh, to live in Latin America. I spent some time in Honduras and Argentina before mm -hmm. going to university mm -hmm. um, and really um, became quite passionate about human rights and about how do we change kind of global systems of power. And, and actually that's, that's what I went into university wanting to do, but realizing that I needed a better skill set in order to be able to do that. You can't just be somebody who would like the world to change you need yeah. a skill set to help enable that and and kind of as I went through my studies I eventually became quite obsessed with energy policy as a way as something that was mm -hmm. really influencing most factors of a person's life right. um, and so uh so became really interested in that actually kind of late uh, in the third fourth year of university um but then when I graduated was really determined to to get a job in the space and ended up working at Clean Energy Canada think tank that does yep. work on expansion of clean energy. Yeah, um, was lucky to work there in their first year, I believe, of operation. I think it was mm -hmm. employee number four, or number five, right? Um, and was kind of the one junior person to many smart people, and was able to leverage that experience to um, learn a lot about strategic planning and um, learn a lot about energy and the energy system, and and then kind of a year and a half into that role, I saw a posting that Student Energy was looking for, for a community manager to launch our mm. chapters program. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a big aha moment for me because it was energy, it was policy, it was all the things I loved, but it was also youth empowerment and the things yeah. that I had been passionate about uh-huh. before on a global scale. So, um, so yeah, that's where I came from, but I was the only employee of ener- student energy for about a year, okay. <laughs> my first year. So <laughs> I've been through, um, the other big experience of how do you scale an organization and, and, uh, and grow it. So, so that, that has been an exciting adventure as well. Wow. Very cool. One of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about is uh, student energy's theory for change diagram uh, that reflects on our, 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 you know, our energy problem. Um, can, can you, uh, can you maybe for the listener, give us a, a bit of a sense of, of uh, you know, what, what that looks like? What's the, what does the diagram do and what does it describe? Mm-hmm, definitely. So theories of change are, um, for those who don't know, are a bit like a business plan or a roadmap for yeah. what it is that charitable organizations want to achieve in the world. Um, and so our theory of change is really centered on what we consider to be the largest challenge, which is that on one hand, energy provides such a high quality of life for people. Your access to energy determines so much about your health and your educational status, your economic status. Um, of both individuals and countries and jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, our energy system is, is not sustainable from an environmental perspective. There are too many emissions coming out of it. And then um, it's not equitable. There's you know massive amounts of inequity, both on a global level between countries, but also yeah. on community levels or on, on a basis within countries. And so our real goal is to transition the energy system to be both sustainable and equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, we've defined a lot of different pathways that we think need to shift in order for that to happen. But actually where student energy really focuses is on two pieces. So the creation of change agents. So making sure that young people have the tools and the networks and the community that they need to um, be able to be energy leaders, but also creation of space for youth. So um so that really comes from the fact that in our early days, we were, you know, helping to empower all these young people. They were big and they were bold and, and they were ready to roll into the world. But then often, you know, it felt like we were launching people into a brick wall. They were landing in a job or somewhere where people didn't really believe that young people could play a significant role and that you mm-hmm. had to be 50 or 60 years old to make a difference. Right. So space really came from the fact that we actually felt like we were good translators for what it is young people are after and that we could help to soften that landing so that, you know, empowered and talented young people can also work with organizations and make those changes happen. Mm-hmm. Um, changing our energy system will not, <laughs> will not just come from a hundred thousand young entrepreneurs getting, getting into it. And we also need to, to build them into corporations and other places. So, so that's really what we're centered on doing. Okay. Well, for, and for the listener uh, in the show notes, uh, we'll we'll include a link to to the your your theory of change page in the diagram, so 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 the listener will be able to grab that. But you know, given the focus um, on the next generation uh, that student energy has, are there trends that you're seeing uh, in terms of energy use for the next generation? Is is it different? Um, is is the approach to energy and energy utilization uh, uh, different for the generations that are, that are now uh, uh, coming forward? Yeah, I, I think it is it is different in many ways, um, but there, there are some things that will, will remain will remain the same. But mm-hmm. I think for young people, often the focus is on the core energy service. So if you take transportation, for instance, the goal yeah. is really 
mobility. It's not necessarily having a car. And so what you're seeing, for instance, in, um, you know, the United States and elsewhere is that the percentage of young people under 19 with a driver's license is plummeting. Yeah. So, um, so um, more and more young people are deciding to opt out of things that used to be typical status symbols or symbols of growing up. Um, And so, so that's something really interesting is to see that um, they are more willing to adapt to systems. I think you're seeing a similar thing in housing in Canada. Sometimes it's not really by choice, um, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but it's a reality, right? Like most people in my generation will not really be able to afford freestanding single family homes. And yep. so you're looking at more willingness to live in condos, townhouses, um, things like that. And ultimately that's all way more energy efficient. And so what you're seeing is a generational mentality shift, I think, around some of the core things that we used to hold true. Like I remember um, being on a panel discussion, I think in Ottawa and, and somebody was like, well, the single family home is the largest challenge we'll ever have on climate and, and energy efficiency. And I was like, well, actually most people in my generation are just lobbying the city of Vancouver right now to allow for more density so that this isn't the challenge. So that the mm-hmm. challenge so that they can live closer to where they work so they can have public transit access and they can have more affordable, more efficient housing. And so I think there's a lot of ways around the energy use that, that we can, can really lean into that. Um, and I think young people also are just generally willing to really adopt new technologies. So I mentioned our Global Youth Energy Outlook is coming out soon and, and of mm. the young people who reported they're still looking at buying a car, still want that type of mobility you know, 90% said they would look to buy an electric car if they could. Okay. And so it's also about kind of harnessing those those layers of willingness to just adopt the next thing and, and lean into the technological difference as well. Yeah, so so you're, you're seeing that across the board, a, a more openness to, to new technology? Yeah, definitely more openness to new technology and also more openness to shifting ways that ways that we live and things that we used to take as a given. Mm-hmm. Um, within, um, you know, within, within society, really. And I think, um, and we're also seeing, you know, greater and greater ambition from young people. So from our survey, for instance, um, you know, over 80% of young people said that they would like to see net zero happen by 2030 or 2040, right. whereas most governments are, are just talking about 2050 right now. And so you're seeing a big ambition and a big push for like, we would like to see this happen and get it done. And um, and actually within our survey as well, um, 83% of young people globally said that they would vote for a candidate based on energy policy. And so I, wow. like, I think, yeah. um, you know, I think that, you know, you're seeing big shifts and you're seeing things like young people looking for more and more avenues for this change to really happen. And, and people are starting to come around to energy. Um, but I think it has been a little bit of a misnomer in the past. You'll even hear this sometimes from the Kenyan government. You'll go talk to environment and climate change about climate change mm-hmm. and say that you're working on energy and they'll tell you like, oh, well, that's over at NRCAN. We don't really do energy. And you're like, well, you have climate change in the name and this is a big part of climate change. And so young people are really starting to connect the dots more and more. But I think there's also a lot of work to do to bridge that gap to help these climate engaged young people understand what huge opportunities there are for them within energy and how much change can be made within working in energy. Yeah. You know, it, it occurs to me, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, um, increasing numbers are, are not getting driver's license or, you know, not, not getting personal cars and so on. And, uh, you know, we, we just had uh, federal cabinet was uh, announced yesterday and our new minister 
of climate, uh, environment and climate change is somebody who's never owned a personal vehicle. Uh, so, so that's that's a trend. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, a, a trend uh, away from, uh, you know, potentially single-family dwellings and, and, and so on. Any other trends that 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 you see that we should be thinking about or keeping an eye on in terms of, in terms of how the next generation uh, would be potentially approaching um, energy use and, and the environment? Um, I mean, I think the other big trend is really around the emphasis on, on equity and in, in an intersectional way. So for intersectionality, okay. you're often looking at kind of the scholarship of Kimberly Crenshaw, um, and it's really about where all of these intersecting social factors creating new barriers for people. Okay. And I think, um, in, and not to get too, too wonky about it, but I think for young people, there's a huge emphasis on creating a more equitable society. And, um, and you see that across the board mm-hmm. and it becomes especially poignant when you're talking about climate energy, because a lot of young people are facing energy burdens around, especially in the United States and other places around um, different prices of energy bills. Um, but also I think for young people, they want to see the energy system shift to be a climate safe energy system, right. but they also are recognizing that the systems of power really aren't working for them. You know, having, mm-hmm. having lots of billionaires around, having all of these things happening are creating these, you know, huge gaps in what's possible for people. And so as we're shifting the energy system, they also want to see a lot of social change go with that. And I think that can be really hard for current business leaders or current government leaders to wrap their heads around is this expectation of young people that we address all the challenges at once. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think from a youth perspective, the idea is that like, while we're solving one problem, let's go ahead and consider all of the problems. So in Canada, for instance, a lot of young people will, you know, have a big emphasis on indigenous rights in every single right. time in conversation. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I do have to have conversations with leaders about like, why is it that they keep bringing this up? Why does this keep, yeah. keep, keep coming? Um, but I think it is that emphasis on, they want to see a different world and energy is one of those toolkits to create a more equitable world as we shift that system. You know, it, it occurs to me that, that there's been people on the podcast in the past that have talked about um, ET&I, equity, diversity, and inclusion, uh, and, um, you know, suggested that uh, that it, it's, you know, it's a priority for a number of reasons uh, for, for companies. But one of the reasons is uh, when they're thinking about recruiting the next generation of talent, that the, they feel increasingly uh, people uh, are, are not going to want to work for a company that is not on the right side of issues around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Are you are you getting a sense of that as well? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, we've heard it from multiple people lately that, you know, they can't seem to stop their young employees from quitting their company and things like that. And I think right. a lot of that goes back to corporate culture. Do people feel heard? Do they feel like there's an opportunity for them? And, um, you know, for student energy, globally, our network is over 50% women, over 70% people of color. That's <laughs> not what the energy industry looks like. Even, <laughs> it sure isn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, for us, a big challenge we have is, is how do we make sure that, um, you know, as we're helping these people to launch their careers, we also help them to have the toolkit to feel comfortable or, or create space, you know, for them to grow their careers, even if, um, 
you know, even if their boss doesn't look like them, even if their boss mm-hmm. doesn't understand their lived experience. And so um, I think it's a big challenge, but I actually do feel like there's a lot of people within the energy industry who are passionate about making this change. But the the big, um, you know, challenge from a youth perspective is that you often don't know what you don't know. And, mm. and the, the experience of some of these people who are starting their careers is just very different from how other people would have, have started. Um, and so, so often it does help to reach out to partners like student energy or others who can really give you a leg up in understanding where your young employees are coming from and, and help to bridge that, that cultural divide because they want to be there and they want to do good work, but, um, but their trajectory looks really different from yours. <laughs> so yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you support someone who, who isn't following the same path that you did? And, and it's possible, but it does take a little bit of thinking outside of the box as well. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, you, you mentioned that, that, that divide, that cultural divide, this generational divide. Um, I, I'm guessing uh, uh, trying to address and, and, and broach uh, that generational divide is something that you and, and the folks at, at uh, Student Energy have been focusing on. How big is that divide? Speaking, you know, as a, as a, as a baby boomer here, uh, and you're two or three generations <laughs> behind me, um, the, the, how big a divide is that? And, and, and um, you know, what is it that, what is it that, that student energy do, does to try, and, to try and bridge that gap? Yeah, so I would I would argue the divide is not as big as people think it is. Um, oh, good. I think, okay. Uh, so, and I think, um, you know, hilariously, sometimes I chat with with different leaders and, and, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's bring youth into this panel or let's have a roundtable with them. And somebody will pull me to the side and be like, hey, wait, is this person going to go yell at the CEO? Because we really can't, we can't do that. <laughs> and so, and, you know, I have to calm people down and assure them that everyone's going to be polite at the session, what have you. And I think, um, you know, that's a little bit of a shame in my, in my yeah. perspective that like, you know, um, more like at the end of the day, everyone's human. Um, you went through it once and you built your career. Mm-hmm. Other, they're building their careers now. The emotions, the feelings around that are all, are all the same, you know? And so I think um, there are a few key pieces of, of tension points, let's say. One is definitely on timeline. I think young people want to see faster action on climate. Right. Um, and other people who've been in the industry for longer sometimes have a reality check around like, oh man, it is so hard to get you know, one thing done and they want all of these things done. But mm-hmm. I think it's not necessarily that the values are in a different place. It's not like, you know, people who are in leadership positions today don't want to see net zero happen faster, don't want to see us achieve the climate goals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what what it takes is really remembering that we're all human and we have a lot of shared core commonalities. And then really for us, it's about like, okay, how do we mash that ambition of young people with the knowledge of others. And I think, because that's really what it will take. I think, you know, Francis, you run, you know, the K Electricity Association, you can say as well as anybody, it's not easy to keep a grid running or to keep it safe mm-hmm. or reliable. And I think, um, you know, young people also need that knowledge. And, and, but then at the same time, we potentially need to be more creative about how do we electrify faster. And so there's a big opportunity to bring those two things together. So I think my perspective is always, you know, take your young colleagues out for coffee, talk mm-hmm. to them about, about what they're thinking. Um, it's really actually quite simple to start to have these conversations, but it just does take time. It takes setting aside the time to really invest in that relationship, just like any other. Um, and, and I think for the most part, you'll be pleasantly surprised about 
um, how you can get new ideas. And then student energy does actually do a whole portfolio of work around helping to facilitate this for companies or organizations. So we will run advisory councils where we bring in youth from around the world to work okay. with leadership teams on yeah. what does it look like to be more innovative um, to address your climate goals. Almost like a consulting service really, but with the next generation giving you advice on on where you could be going next. And I think those types of things have produced really fruitful collaborations where mm -hmm. we can really get to the heart of the matter around, you know, we have these shared goals, where are we missing the mark on operationalizing them? And, and then how do you really engage your young staff and your young employees in this exciting work? Because your young employees definitely want to be part of this. It's just a matter of opening the door and letting them kind of into those strategic conversations and, and helping them to find their path in it too. And you're, you're seeing innovation sparked by, uh, by, by these conversations and by these relationships. Definitely. Yeah. I think yeah. Um, often, you know, and sometimes all it takes is really somebody who understands the subject matter, but is a little bit outside of the normal circle who you engage with to right. you know, point at, point at the thing, um, that would be easy to solve and 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 would move a lot further. I mean, we've even seen some of the most productive suggestions really being like, you know, your your sustainability team uses all these crazy acronyms and and talking to <laughs> you know the other people at your company, it turns out that nobody understands them. So this is why nobody ever fills out, you know, the the sustainability reports or what. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it can sometimes be as simple as as identifying those different gaps. Um, and then often it's about, you know, um, giving young people a chance and having high expectations of them, expecting them to be able to deliver on things that might be a little out of scope for them, but that will help them grow their career and also help you get some new thinking on, on what you're trying to do on sustainability. This, this, this podcast is, is part of a series that I've been doing on Net Zero 2050. And I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to chat with you is, is because, I mean, I'll be long since retired by the time 2050 rolls around, uh, but it's going to be your generation and the generation following you uh, that will be, will be running the show uh, in 2050. Are there things that uh, either, you know, sort of students uh, or, or young people coming into the sector today uh, are looking for or are thinking about when uh, thinking about the, the, the you know the goals for uh, climate reduction and, and net zero 2050. There are a few key things we're seeing people think about. So one is that we're definitely seeing people shying away from working for companies that they don't think will align with net zero goals. Um, okay. And you're even seeing that um, you know um, at a university level in terms of enrollments and different types of programs and things like that. And so okay. people really are planning their career based on net zero trajectories. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing we're seeing from, from that perspective is that young people are really interested in action plans. Um, so, uh, so uh, you know, it's great if you have a net zero announcement or a commitment, but if it's not backed up by, and this is what we're going to do by 2025 and 2030 mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. know, the actual plan, people are, are really starting to lose credibility really quickly um, if, if they don't kind of have some details and some pathways and some ways that they're going to assess it. And then I think the final thing that young people are looking for that is less acknowledged is, you know, that this is a real challenge is that we don't have all the answers. And I think sometimes um, leaders in the sector, you know, have a hard time saying like, 
I actually don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but here's what I'm going to do to try to figure it out. Um, and, and what young people are really looking for is that authenticity and that sincerity around, around, you know, we actually don't have the answer here, but here's how we're going to work on it because, and I think that can be really challenging for leaders is that, you know, you're used to saying like, this is the direction we're going. This is what my company's going to do. Um, and, and to be able to say like, actually, this is a really big challenge and we need more minds on it. Um, is is a level of transparency that a lot of leaders aren't as comfortable with, but it's really what young people are looking for is what are the openings to start to work on solving these hard challenges. Yeah, right. Hey, it's um, it's uh, the eve of COP26 in Glasgow. Uh, and so a couple of questions about Glasgow. I think the first one, Meredith, would be, um, what, uh, what would people see uh, coming from student energy? Because I, I know you'll be you'll be um, in Glasgow, and uh, presumably there will be some activities and some announcements. Uh, anything that we should be keeping our eye on and, and watching to 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 come from Student Energy um, when uh, when the world gets together for the conference of the parties twenty six meeting in, in in Glasgow next week. Yeah, definitely. So we'll um, we have a few big things that are going on next week. So um, we'll be um, launching our global youth energy outlook. So as I mentioned, we okay. worked with over 42,000 youth on what is it that they want from the future of energy and how do they want to work with companies and governments to make that reality happen. And so those results will be released on November 4th at a big launch event in, uh, in Glasgow. Okay. Um, and we're really excited about, about that. And then um, the next piece that we're doing is, is we're really promoting our work on the solutions movement. So student energy is leading um, the main youth energy compact through UN Energy. Um, and UN Energy is um, has basically rallied different organizations um, that they feel have the ability to achieve SDG 7, so um, sustainable, um, clean and sustainable electricity for all, or energy for all, sorry. Um, and so student energy is has made a commitment to launching 10,000 youth-led energy projects by 2030 to work to fill the skills oh, gap okay. and, and fill the deployment gap. And so we're, we're raising funding um, to deploy $150 million of funding to those projects um, and to be able to support those 10,000 projects from here to 2030. And so, so those are two big pieces that we're we're leading on um, and, and excited to be launching at COP. And then uh, we finally have um, a women's initiative that, that we're working to support as well. And so, so details to come on that one, um, but, but really looking to elevate both um, knowledge of the disproportionate impact of climate change on women and mm -hmm. um, how women are, are leading on climate solutions, both in the COP space and, and in their communities around the world. Wow. So it, it will not be a dull week at all. You've got plenty coming up. You're no, going to be yes, there. We'll be very busy. Yeah. Well, but presumably you'll be there at the same time as some of our, our new cabinet ministers. We've got um, uh, a new minister of environment and climate change, Stephen Gilbo, and Jonathan Wilkinson, who was environment and climate change, has now moved over to Enercan. Um, is there anything you're hoping to see from the government? Uh, newly elected government, new cabinet announced. Um, is there is there anything that, that you would like to see uh, as uh, you know a first or, or early announcements coming out of the government in this space? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's many things we'd like to see around ambition on climate, but I think for student energy in particular, what we're really looking for the government to do is acknowledge that you know Canada actually 
is not adequately providing for young people to be able to participate in the future of energy and climate. We are behind on the skills and the training programs necessary to meet our climate ambitions. You know, we've talked a lot about the resilient recovery in the last few years. There have been many calls for different funding pieces, but ultimately that skill and capacity building piece is missing. And, and I think it's a big shame in that, you know, you have a whole generation of people who really want to do this work, but it's still very hard for them to get into it. Um, a lot of this, the clean tech work is happening at very small firms that are hard to locate mm. or, um, you know, getting the right skill sets. And so, so that's a big commitment that we'd like to see from the government is how do they plan to meaningfully engage young people and make sure that they have the tools that they need to be our energy and climate leaders going forward. One of the things uh, that I invite everybody that comes on the podcast, uh, that I, I always ask about a book, either that uh, they're reading uh, or a book that they've recently read that they would recommend. So Meredith, for you, what book would you recommend to, to the listener of the podcast? Oh, there, there are many, but I think um, the book that's coming to mind for me and that I just have finished rereading is, um, is called Braiding Sweetgrass. And it's all about the integration of Indigenous climate or Indigenous knowledge and, and traditional kind of science on biodiversity. And I think it's been really illuminating for me on, on, on different teachings and learnings that we can take forward. Um, and, and so I would highly recommend everyone everyone reading it and, and learning more about the values and the, and the traditional knowledge really that guides climate <laughs> science today sometimes um, and, and really that we can start to turn to because there is so much knowledge still amongst Indigenous peoples in Canada. And I think um, that's another, another piece that um, the country really needs to think about in integrating and, and leveraging really as we work to achieve our climate goals. Terrific. That's a great addition to the uh, to the Flux Capacitor Library. Braiding Sweetgrass. Yes. Terrific. Yeah. Meredith, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to jump on the podcast and best of luck. Best of luck at COP26 in Glasgow. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future podcasts in the Net Zero 2050 series, which will continue given the evolving targets for the economy as a whole and for the electricity sector. Future podcasts will include industry, government, and stakeholder guests discussing the implications of and the pathways to the Net Zero future. And as always, let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter and at electricity.ca.